Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Murderville listeners. Man, have we got an update for you. It's the one we've been hoping we'd have for years. Let's get to it. Is that him in the car? I think so, yeah. Oh, let's get out of the way, huh? So let me describe what you're hearing. A red Escalade is pulling up on Highway 10, just across the street from Augusta State Medical Prison. There's a crowd of people standing on the shoulder as cars and 18-wheelers zoom past. Devanya Inman is waving from the passenger seat of the Cadillac SUV. He's got a huge smile on his face. His three-year-old granddaughter, Alana, is sitting on his lap. He's just been released from prison and into the arms of his parents, Dinah and David Ray. My heart was racing. But... When I saw him, oh, then I know it was real. So real. Wow. Can't believe this day. We've been waiting for this day for so long. From The Intercept, I'm Liliana Segura. And I'm Jordan Smith. Welcome back to Murderville, Georgia. First, a quick recap. Devanya was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the 1998 murder of Donna Brown in Adel, Georgia. Brown was the night manager at the Taco Bell there and was shot in the parking lot as she left work after closing up for the night. No physical evidence linked Devanya to the crime. And years later, DNA found on a crucial piece of evidence linked another man, Hercules Brown, to her murder. Hercules worked with Donna Brown at the Taco Bell, and he knew how the closing procedures worked. And while Devanya was in jail awaiting trial, Hercules was arrested and charged with the double murder of a beloved local shopkeeper and his employee. Hercules pleaded guilty to that crime and is now doing life without parole. The last time we talked to you, back in August, we told you about the evidentiary hearing in Devanya's case— where his lawyers argued that the state had withheld from his defense key evidence that pointed to Hercules. And that his trial attorneys did a lousy job. On November 16th, Judge Christina Cook Graham released her decision. Quote, Under the circumstances of this extraordinary case, and having carefully considered the evidence presented, this court is convinced that the trial and post-trial proceedings against Mr. Inman were fundamentally unfair and are unworthy of confidence in their outcome. And with that, after 23 years, Graham overturned Devanya's conviction. (laughs) 
We first got the news from Jessica Sino, the former law professor who's been Devanya's fiercest advocate, and who first brought us the story of Devanya's case. She sent a text message that ended with 10 exclamation points. Quote, the court granted Devanya's motion for a new trial. We also got a text message from Devanya's mom, Dinah. When we called her, she was overcome with emotion. We got so much to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm ready. Take your time. Take your time, Dinah. We uh, we knew this was going to be. It's just a lot. You've, You've waited a long time for this. A long time. It's been 23 years I've been waiting to hear something like this that I thought would never happen. I don't know if he knows yet, but I'm just waiting on him to call me. So. Obviously, this was all great news. But there was a catch. Or at least a potential one. The Georgia Attorney General would have 30 days to appeal Judge Graham's ruling. And honestly, we were pretty convinced that they would. For one, the state had fought tooth and nail to keep Devania's conviction intact and to keep him in prison for the rest of his life. Even after DNA came back pointing to Hercules. Why would they stop now? But also, in our experience, that's just what prosecutors tend to do in cases like these, even when their evidence has fallen apart. So then, we just had to wait. And wait. It wasn't until the 11th hour that the AG's office said it would not appeal Graham's decision. Again, the news came in a text message from Sino on Thursday, December 16th. Hello. 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 It's <laughs> very exciting. Oh my god! Should we just call? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Hey. Hi. Oh. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you know they had us uh, in nail biter mode, but. At last, this guy's going to get some justice. This meant the case would bounce back to Cook County, where Devanya was tried. And it would be left up to the district attorney, Chase Studstill, to make the call. Retry Devanya for Donna Brown's murder or cut him loose. Studstill was ready with his decision. He declined to prosecute and asked a judge for Devanya's immediate release from prison. I felt like the state didn't need to keep pursuing something that we couldn't win at trial beyond a reasonable doubt. I knew the AG's office had their appellate rights for 30 days, and they chose not to appeal the habeas. And once they did, it comes back to me to make a decision. And I had already been weighing in on this. I was just say this last week when the window for appeals closed for the AG, I wasn't caught off guard and scrambling to make a decision. After that, things moved quickly. But chaotically. The order called for Devanya's release within 24 hours. We'd gotten intel that it could happen much sooner. 
but we didn't know exactly when or even where his release would take place. Devanya was housed at a prison just outside Augusta, which is on the border of South Carolina. So there was a good chance he'd walk out from there. But there was also a chance he'd be taken down to Adel and released from the Cook County Jail, which is near the Florida border. Dinah and her husband, David Ray, had come from California and were waiting for word in Adel. Meanwhile, Sino had packed a go bag and was ready to leave Atlanta at a moment's notice. Finally, late on the morning of Monday, December 20th, another text. Devanya would be released from Augusta between 3 and 4 p.m. By 2.30 that afternoon, people had started showing up at the prison. But it became immediately clear that the prison officials did not want Devanya's release on display. Hi, we're just waiting for someone who's getting out okay, uh, shortly. Who are you? Uh, we're pre- well, I'm press. Okay. Uh, there's legal team members here. You, I'm also press. She's with yeah. me. You're going to have to leave the premises. Leave the no premises? No press, no ma'am. Well, no, I wasn't going to take pictures or anything. No press on the premises. I've been informed no press on the premises at all. I mean, this is a, a story that we've been following for a long time. It's a man who's getting out after 23 years locked up that. for a crime he didn't commit. They don't want any press on the premises, ma'am. This is state property. It's private property. You have to leave. For the next couple of hours, we waited by the side of the road. A bunch of family members were there, including cousins who had grown up with Devanya. There was Andrico's picket. We knew this day was coming. I just didn't know it was going to take this long. And Tamara Pickett. I was 11 when he left. Yep. So I used to write him all these letters because, you know, we was, we was close in my eyes when I was little. Finally, Devanya pulled up. Oh, <laughs> yes, That's your papa, girl. Jesus. <laughs> yes, thank you, Father. There were hugs and tears and lots of discussion about what he wanted to eat. Devanya wanted wings and pizza. So what he said, wings first? Pizza and wings is what his first choice was. Where's the, where's the nearest pizza and wings? <laughs> yeah, we'll go get it. It ain't no problem. I don't know where it's at. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. Needless to say, this was all a really big deal. But there are a few more things we want to discuss with you. First, let's start by talking about the AG's decision. I completely expected them to appeal because, you know, that's what they do. And this it's, this isn't just in Georgia. This is pretty much everywhere where we've worked on wrongful conviction cases. Prosecutors, usually at this point, it's, it's a state attorney general, get their back up against a wall with all this sort of cascade of how wrong this case is, and they just— cannot let it go. And it just becomes really grotesque after a while. And so in this situation, I was just expecting that's what they were going to do. But there's one kind of little catch here, which was that (laughs) 
ultimately, they, they really had nowhere to go with it because the Georgia Supreme Court had this sort of extraordinary ruling in 2019 where the judge that was the presiding judge at the time, who is now the chief judge, was basically like, back the hell off. Stand down. We got this case wrong, and you should stop this. So for them to appeal, they would have had to appeal right back to the Georgia Supreme Court. And so it seemed like a non-starter, but that didn't stop us from thinking that, like, oh, they're totally going to do that, just to drag it out. They had 30 days from when Judge Graham's order came down. And I totally expected that they would appeal, you know, maybe not immediately, but maybe within the first week. Jordan and I were checking the docket uh, on this this site called Peach Court, which is where they do the, you know, where the filings come in and all of these Georgia cases and sort of refreshing that docket, assuming that the that the AG uh, would appeal. And then a week passed and another week passed and there was nothing. And we started checking in with Tom Riley, Devanya's lawyer, to see if he'd heard anything. And he kept saying, nope, haven't heard anything, haven't heard anything. And so the more time passed, the more I sort of found myself cautiously optimistic, like, oh, my God, maybe maybe they won't appeal. But still, you know. We both expected that it was just a matter of time and 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 that, you know, maybe they were just waiting until the last minute to kind of to make that deadline. But what they still did was drag it out as long as they could. So it's just par for the course. Again, it's just like really important to keep in mind that this is just kind of how they roll. I think a lot of it, unfortunately, is politics. It, it's not sort of an interest in justice and a true belief that, like, we got it right It's machinations inside the office that are purely political. And in that way, it's just kind of obscene, routine, but nonetheless obscene. It's important to keep in mind just how much it flies in the face of the claims that these prosecutors are operating in the interest of justice, but also in the interests of, of victims' families. Because what this ultimately did was not only keep Devanya's family in this, you know, incredibly destabilizing holding pattern, but it dragged it out for Donna Brown's family. And I know we'll talk about that more, but what this exoneration means for them is is really hard to even wrap our heads around. In, In this case, I really think the AG's office, they saw the writing on the wall and still, they chose to, to to wait until the very last second and make everyone else sort of wait there during the holidays um, in a state of uncertainty. Yeah, it's cruel, basically. All around, right? I mean, it's just, there's, <laughs> it's hard to describe it any other way. This all obviously has ended up well for Devanya and his family. But I think, and we've said this before, actually, that Devanya is pretty fortunate that he even had lawyers. I mean, all along the way, he had lawyers. Now, most people, especially when they're they're doing a sentence that's less than a death sentence, right? Because that kicks in a whole new apparatus. But here, he's sentenced to life in prison. And that sort of stops his ability to have lawyers kind of appointed to him. So this took an extraordinary effort from people along the way. I mean, he was the first one to reach out to the the Georgia Innocence Project. The fact that they took his case is huge. And then when they kind of got stalled out, Jessino kind of appears and it gets really involved because she's infuriated by the case. And then she kind of recruits this 
very elite team of lawyers from a very prestigious law firm in Atlanta. And then and then even then, look, this has taken 23 years. And most people don't don't get that kind of opportunity. So he's fortunate and this has all ended up well for him, but it, it's like even with all these relative advantages, he was there for 23 years for something he didn't do, right? I mean, that's just crazy, but that is how the system works. So in a way, Devanya is very much an exception to the rule. And we don't know. We have no clue. And this is what should be mind-blowing and disturbing, I think, is that we have no clue how many Devanyas there are. Devanya was incredibly lucky to have the legal team that he did, um, especially because, as we've said before, the system is not designed to enable uh, processes like these. The system is designed to convict people and then keep people in prison. This very well could have gone very differently for Devanya, depending on the jurisdiction where the hearing took place, the judge he got, the procedural rules that create barriers to relief and to 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 exonerations are enormous. Uh, in a very real way, the deck was stacked against Devanya and is stacked against um, any number of people in his position. So, so many things had to go right for him to to be released. It took so many people to get to this point. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. First of all, so there were there were two key witnesses, at least there was Marquetta Thomas and Larisha Chapman, who had initially implicated Devanya, but said they had done so under coercive pressure from police. They tried to recant before Devanya was ever tried. I mean, think about that. And they went forward anyway, right? But meanwhile, the other thing that's happening is that there are people who tried to tell law enforcement that they had heard that the real culprit was Hercules. One of the key people who made this happen, um, who got Devanya back in court, was a woman named Kim Brooks, who we were unaware of, uh, but who was found by by Devanya's legal team some years ago uh, during a visit to Adele. And Kim Brooks had tried to tell police way back in the day that Hercules had tried to convince her to rob the Taco Bell, uh, essentially to c- carry out this very kind of crime. And, and she 
she tried to go to the Adel police and they told her, well, you know, you need to go to the GBI. But what Kim Brooks described uh, only to be ignored was was hugely significant. She she said that that Hercules had told her that he'd done something bad and that he was aware that someone else was going to prison for what he'd done. So if not for her and that critical piece of evidence, it's very likely Devanya wouldn't have gotten back into court. So now that Devanya's free, I guess a huge, huge question that is out there is what will the Cook County DA do? We have a bunch of evidence, DNA, and these other people like Kim Brooks. And there's others out there, too, to whom he'd confessed that he had done it, like, in detail. So the question becomes... Is the DA going to charge him? And so we had a chance to actually talk to Chase Studstill. I mean, what did you make of what he said? We were delighted to find that not only was he willing to to talk to us on the phone, on the record, but he he actually brought us inside his thought process in a way that we did not expect. You know, one of the most Exciting parts of that conversation was the fact that he told us that one of the first things that he did to try to get up to speed on this case was listen to the podcast, <laughs> which uh, which was pretty cool. But yeah, it, it was very clear that he is a guy who who took this case very seriously and wanted to be ready as well. He was, um, you know, to, to to make a decision here. But I will say that for all of his sort of generosity during that conversation and openness, he spoke very, very cautiously about what he planned to do um, when it came to Hercules Brown and and essentially said that um, he hasn't really made a decision on that front. The one thing I will say is with Mr. Brown, I would have more of a charge to make a case on him if he weren't sitting where he is today. In other words... Because he's never getting out of prison, the the necessity in, in trying to build a strong case against him isn't as strong as if he were a free man. He made clear that Hercules is already in prison. He's going to be there for the rest of his life. And in a sense, that makes the push or the, you know, the, the sort of imperative to to bring charges against Hercules in this case a little less urgent because it's not like he's out in the world. Naturally, for us, the, the, the question was, well, you know, that may be true for a lot of people, but if you're Donna Brown's family, um, I imagine it, it's important to them. Of course, we don't know what Donna Brown's family thinks about this case. We don't know if they're persuaded that Devanya was innocent or if they believe that Hercules might have been the real killer. This is kind of naturally leads into a question about what about Donna Brown's family. Have you been in touch with or have you heard from the family of Donna Brown, whether, you know, whether about Inman himself or or do you have a sense of, of you know, whether they would want to see uh, Hercules Brown tried for this? Have you been in contact with them? I don't have a comment on that at this time. I guess we don't really know at this point if there will be any accountability for what happened to Donna Brown. But I just, you know, I just, like, I would toss it to you, Liliana, because I want, I think you describe best sort of the response that we have gotten from the family in the past. 
I wrote an email pretty early on. There was an email to a family member in 2016, essentially asking, you know, we'd love to talk to you. We want to know more about Donna Brown as a person. All of the things you would ask a victim's family member to do. And the email response was sad, but quite definitive. This was a family member who said that, you know, you would think after all of this time that, you know, the death of, of my loved one would, would get easier, but it doesn't get easier. And, and this family member specifically made clear that not only uh, were they not interested in speaking to us, they really resented that, that the murder of their loved one was being made into a, quote, project. You know, now her death is a project. And that uh, rings very real. You know, that speaks to the trauma. And, and I can completely understand why that family member would, would feel that way. And so they, they basically said, please don't contact us again or me again. At the same time, there were other family members who, who did speak to other reporters. And, and over the years, we've actually heard from a number of people on that side of the case who were under the impression that we hadn't sought out the family. And so I do regret that we didn't make clear, at least that, of course, we did. We would never um, neglect to do so. After Devanya's exoneration, um, I, I did write back to that one particular family member, you know, hoping that maybe they would feel differently or have something more to say, because I think family members often feel like their loved one was forgotten in moments like this um, and that their, you know, their trauma, that, that somehow that doesn't count. You know, thus far, we haven't gotten a response. Now, to the extent that Donna Brown's murder is unsolved, there's another unsolved murder in this podcast. You might remember that Salish Patel was in Adel running a convenience store for a family member who was out of town and staying at this family member's house. And he's working one night. This is after Donna Brown is killed, but before Bennett and Browning are killed, who Hercules is in prison for murdering. Patel is, like, closing up the convenience store and goes home just a couple blocks away and then is truly brutally beaten to death in this house. And and this crime has never been solved. And we've inquired multiple times with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, about that. And they've been a little flip about it, insisting that it's open, but <laughs> it's there's no movement. But I, I would say that, that the other thing that the DA in Cook County, Chase Studstill, told us that the podcast actually had kind of alerted him, I guess would be the best way to put it, that the Patel murder had never been solved. And he expressed to us deep desire to get to the bottom of that case. So, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, that was that was a really important part of our conversation, too. You know, talk about forgotten the the. It was really important to us to represent the murder of Salish Patel in our podcast because in this period of time when these murders took place, there was a lot of sort of collective memory around uh, not only the murder of Donna Brown and the wrongful conviction of Devanya Inman, but also the the Bennett and Browning murders that ultimately sent Hercules to, to prison. And yet this man, Salish Patel, who was an immigrant, who wasn't from around there, who was only visiting uh, Adele for a brief amount of time, died in this brutal death. And what we came to discover while investigating this story uh, was that the GBI's efforts, as far as we could tell, had been truly negligible. I mean, the family had received no communication almost from the start and certainly not over the years. And there's just one 
piece of this I'll always remember, which is like basically when we were done reporting this this whole podcast, at one point I received a message, a voicemail message from a GBI agent who I'd tried to contact to see where their supposed efforts were to, to solve the murder of Salish Patel. And he called me back and left me a message in which it became really clear that he thought I was a member of the family inquiring about Salish Patel and that I might have some information for him. My name is Jason Nipper. I'm a special agent with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. I'm trying to make contact uh, with a family member of a Shalish Patel, uh, Sam, Sam Patel, uh, that was involved in an ongoing death investigation out of Adel Cook County, Georgia, uh, many, many years ago. That really um, spoke volumes about their their supposed progress in investigating that cold case. So so we're really heartened to hear that the DA wants, um, as he put it, some closure some closure in that case. So I guess that sort of brings you to the question of Devanya is out of prison now, and that is great, right? But I suppose you know what we know all too well also is that that is an awesome first step, but it's it certainly doesn't necessitate a happy ending, right? I mean, that's not probably not the greatest way to put it. I don't know. How would you describe it, Liliana? There are so many stories that both of us have written about people who have gotten out of prison. I mean, whether they were innocent or not, but who have struggled to rebuild their lives after decades behind bars. And that struggle... <laughs> is is largely invisible to a lot of people who kind of love this happy ending. I mean, of course, we're all really excited that Devanya is free now, but he spent his entire adult life in prison, and now he has to find a way to get a job, figure out where he's going to live, try to reestablish relationships with his loved ones, his family members, his, his son and his son's daughter. Um, all of that is incredibly, incredibly daunting. And, and he's doing it without the benefit of any resources. You know, one of the most egregious elements of these wrongful convictions is, is the fact that the states that are responsible for robbing people of their lives oftentimes don't do anything to contribute to, to helping people rebuild their, their lives after all of this time. And that's certainly true in Devanya's case. The road for him is, is in many ways just beginning. One of the things about being there across from the prison that day, there was something so emblematic about the scene there. You had <laughs> you had Devanya's loved ones, the people who are part of his community, uh, who've waited all this time, show up at the prison, you know, many of them from hours and hundreds of miles away, to welcome him home. And the first thing that prison officials did was say, no, you can't be here. Press can't be here. There were rumors that Devanya was going to be taken through the back of the prison where nobody could greet him or nobody could see. You know, the state doesn't want this to be uh, an event. They don't want any any level of sort of 
transparency or publicity when when because they're the ones who are responsible for this for this egregious injustice. And so so all of that speaks to the reasons that they don't then make any effort to to actually help people rebuild their lives. So so yeah, I think for a lot of people starting with an apology is a really good place to begin and many people don't even get that. There are a number of states that do have compensation packages for the wrongfully convicted, people who are exonerated. And this may surprise people, but like the best is Texas, where it's up to sort of, I think, $80,000 at this point for every year you are wrongfully convicted. Plus, you get annuities. Plus, you get health care, educational benefits. Now, Texas, of course, did not do this of its kindness of its heart. I mean, it's basically embarrassed into this because of how many wrongful convictions there have been. But but it is sort of a, a model, right? And then there are states that have some model, but, like, they're kind of crappy, but they have something in name where I think Missouri is one of these, right? So it's like you can only seek compensation from the state where you were exonerated because of DNA evidence, which people maybe don't know is, like, the smallest percentage of exonerations total writ large. And then after that, the state is like, okay, so only if you got exonerated because of DNA, right? And then after that, they're like, and also, we don't care how many years you're in prison, be it 10 or be it 40, you get $36,000 total, okay? So the st- it's not just that having a compensation package is means you're automatically awesome, because it doesn't, because there's like a range there. But then there are 13 states, and Georgia is one of them, that has zero Zero, 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 zero compensation for exonerees, except for this bizarre sort of bullshit route that you can take, which is go to the legislature, find a lawmaker to write a specific bill for you to get you compensation. Let that sink in. Think about that. You've just gone out of prison. Now you have to go back to essentially where you, the county where you're convicted, find a state rep there who would feel compelled to help you, then write a bill and then push it through the legislature? I'm I'm sorry, that's just nonsense, right? And this is how they've done it every single time, every single time. And then you have lawmakers who are just like, well, I guess that guy's life is worth 50 grand. I mean, it's just all, it's obscene and it is insulting and The state has used its power to take your life away. And then they act like they owe you nothing on the other side. And it just infuriates me. So this is where Devanya is. He spent 23 years behind bars in a state where at least halfway along the way, they knew he didn't have anything to do with this crime. And now he's out and they're like, we don't have to do anything for you. So for now, this story has basically come to a close. With Devanya Inman free and home with his family in California for Christmas for the first time in more than 23 years. Why don't we let David Ray, Devanya's stepdad, take us out. This is Devanya's auntie. David, how are you doing? Yes, I do. Congratulations. It's it's like like a dream come true. Yeah. Like they said, a nightmare is over with. Mm-hmm. My son's coming home. 
And I just want to say I'm so happy for everybody who had their part in it. I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much. Murderville, Georgia is a production of The Intercept and Topic Studios. This episode was edited by Andrea Jones, produced by Laura Flynn and Truk Wynn, and mixed by Rick Kwan. Special thanks to Claire Reynolds for additional field recordings. For The Intercept, Betsy Reed is the editor-in-chief. I'm Liliana Segura. And I'm Jordan Smith. You can read our series and see photos at theintercept.com slash murderville. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Liliana Segura and at chronic underscore Jordan. We're also hard at work on season two, Murderville, Texas, dropping February 1st. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash donate. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. And please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find us. If you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much for listening. Houston, Texas, October 1992. An elderly woman named Edna Franklin is found stabbed to death on her living room floor. Police described the victim as frail, weighing less than 100 pounds. Her throat was slashed and she was nearly decapitated. Police quickly arrest a suspect, a family friend named Charles Raby. 22-year-old Charles Raby. Charles Douglas Raby. Has been charged with the murder of an elderly woman last week in North Houston. Homicide investigators say Raby confessed but say he can't remember everything about the violent act, claiming he blacked out. No physical evidence ties him to the crime, but a jury finds him guilty and sentences him to death. One problem. That confession, the state's key piece of evidence against Charles Raby, he says it was false. Charles Raby has been on death row for 27 years. He's in a race against time to prove his innocence. From The Intercept, I'm Liliana Segura. And I'm Jordan Smith. Welcome to Murderville, Texas. The state of Texas will commit premeditated murder of an innocent man. Raby confessed to killing her. Poor innocent old woman like that. Who would kill her? This is a really uh, vicious attack. I didn't kill the woman. I did, I did not do it. We were given a free reign in solving a case. This could be a case study of why interrogation should be recorded. I mean, who's going to confess to murdering a 72-year-old woman with arthritis who weighed 98 pounds? Who's going to confess to that? It's not about your guilty or innocence in Texas. It's hell to be poor and broke in Texas. When you got somebody getting ready to juice up on that gurney, why wouldn't you want to know the truth? Murderville, Texas, drops February 1st. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 